If you guys don't mind, stay standing. Uh, If you have God's word with you, uh, if you don't mind, if you are already there in Psalm 23, uh, just standing in reverence for the the word of God this morning. So I'm going to read this out loud for us. If you guys will just follow along with me, I will read for us before we begin this morning. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You guys may be seated. So as Abby said, we're going to be continuing in our study through the book of Psalms. Uh, We've picked out uh, a couple different Psalms here. Uh, The goal of this series, the hope of this series, is that we'll be able to see that we can worship in any circumstance in our life, despite whatever our soul may feel that we are enabled and we can truly worship God. So if you guys remember uh, back a couple weeks, we started out this series, really the first three sermons in this series, we were just answering the question, how do we worship when our soul is content? How do we worship when everything is going well? We talked about uh, Bailey and Abby getting married and the joy that comes in a wedding festival and we get to read from the Psalm of a wedding Psalm. We get to talk about the joy that happens as uh, Bailey taught on us for two weeks ago um, about the, the joy and the worship we have as we come into the Lord's presence and into his courts and we get to sing. But the truth of the matter is life is not always joyful, is it? The truth is that many of us in this room sometimes find it hard to be content, that the serenity that of uh, life just sometimes is in shambles. So how can we worship when it feels like the wheels are falling off of life? How can we worship when life is in flux? How can we worship when it feels like the contentment we're trying to hold to is like grasping in the wind? How can we worship when we're hesitant, when we're full of anxiety? Ultimately, how can we worship when our soul is restless? This is the question we'll be looking at Psalm 23 this morning and trying to answer As I know this is one of the most well-known psalms in scripture, uh, that we have a lot of um, maybe deconstruction to do at different places for us. But there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of reason why this psalm can spurn our hearts to worship, even if we're in the middle of one of the most difficult seasons of our life. But before we get into that, let's stop and ask the Lord for help this morning. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that although life is not always a mountaintop of joy and serenity, even though we walk through the valley, you are there. So God, as we approach your word this morning, we need you. God, you are the shepherd of this flock and I'm but an under shepherd. So God, I pray for your wisdom. 
I pray for your discernment that as we dissect your word, that you would be magnified, that you would leap off the pages and you would be magnified, that we would be able to walk out of these doors this morning and say, even still, despite my circumstances, I can worship. So God, would you come, would you be with us, and would this all be for your name and your glory? It's in your name we pray, amen. So like I said, this is one of the most well-known psalms in all of scripture. It's a, known as a psalm of trust. So exactly what we're talking about this morning, this time of restlessness in your life. So maybe this restlessness for you is a job insecurity. Maybe it's relational insecurity. Maybe it's just this want, a desire that you have in your heart that you've been wanting for a long time. And from the outset, I will tell you, as I told a lot, of you guys in our family worship time this morning, that this has been one of the most difficult texts for me to prepare as your pastor because I've been feeling this restlessness in my own soul for five years as my wife and I have wanting to be parents. And so I just wanna be honest with you at the outset of all of this that we all, maybe not now, but at some point in our life, we'll deal with this restlessness in our soul. And I don't think we can look to anyone else better besides King David to get the answer to how we can worship in the middle of this. Because you see, David knew restlessness. David was anointed king and Saul would not give up the throne. David knew restlessness as he was on the run in the wilderness, sleeping in caves for up to seven years. He knew what it was to be restless. He knew restlessness as his child died. He knew restlessness as his throne was taken from him by his son. David knew restlessness as he had to go and hide in the land of the Philistines, his very enemies, just for protection. And this is the man that wrote this psalm, many of our commentators believe. David knew restlessness, but don't miss this. He also knew his rest was in God, and that's why he can worship. So if we have any hope of knowing how we can worship this morning, we have got to know that our rest is first and foremost in God. So let's pick up in verse one, and we get to see that why when we look to God, when we see him, that worship can be birthed in our heart. The first thing we see in these first three verses is God's provision as our shepherd. That's why he says in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Did you guys see how many times David is saying he, he makes me, he leads me for his namesake, that God is the one that is leading and providing as a shepherd. You get to see, uh, if you've heard a sermon like this at any point in your life, you've probably heard how a shepherd is in chief charge of providing for the flock. And David here has a bit of a mixed metaphor, if you will. He's saying that the Lord is the shepherd of the flock, but the Lord is more than just some distant third-party shepherd, that he is his shepherd that David knew the restlessness as he was in the wilderness, that he was in need and want, but the Lord was guiding him. The Lord, we get to see in this text the doctrine of God's providence, of how God provides for his children. 
So for us in this room this morning, we get to say, if we are truly children of God, that the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is not just a shepherd of some flock, but you in the middle of your restlessness right now have a good and faithful shepherd that is actively providing for you. He loves and cares for you, as Bailey was saying at the beginning of this message. But we get to see that this provision is not just physical, but it's also the spiritual provision that he has for his children. That's why if you're looking at verse two, when he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So the sheep would go to green pastures as a place of rest and a place of nourishment. They would eat that green grass. The spiritual nourishment for us is the same. Yes, the Lord leads us into places of peace, but that nourishment that we get is ultimately him. God is not just about your physical needs. And I can tell you in the middle of the season of my life, God, yes, loves and cares and will meet some of your needs and your wants. But what he is chief about is the salvation of his children's souls. And that is only found in your savior, Christ. So this restlessness you're feeling, he is still leading you, but where he is ultimately leading you to is where the most joy can be found. And that is in him. That's the good shepherd does. We get to see in verse three, he says that he restores my soul. How many of us at times just come into this room tired and weary and looking to be just in this fellowship of believers to have a revival of soul? It's God's provision to you in this fellowship of believers to give you brothers and sisters that you can confess your sins to, that can cry with you, that can encourage you, that can point you to the cross. That is how God is reviving your soul as a good shepherd. That Christ leads us into paths of righteousness. As Bailey said earlier too, that this path of righteousness, this life of doing well, this, this life of sanctification is ultimately one that God is leading us into. All of this, don't miss out, is the tail end of verse three is for his name's sake. That you indeed, if you are a son or daughter of the king, he provides for you not because of how good you are, not because of how much you read your Bible, not because of how much you go to church, not because of how much scripture you have memorized, not because of your outward appearance of looking like you have it all together, not about your good deeds, your mission trips, how much you tithe, how much you serve, how well you love your family. On Father's Day, fathers, he doesn't love you just because of how you provide for your family. He is the one that is providing for you and your family. God loves you for his namesake, because you are his child, you bear his name. And God is first and foremost for his name and his glory. So we should be asking ourselves this question, is can remembering God's provision really spurn our restless souls to worship? That's what we said at the outset of this, right? That our hearts are restless How can our hearts that are restless truly worship God? I think we get to see a beautiful depiction uh, as Christ fulfills prophecy that I hope that you guys get to see that it will birth worship in your heart when you see that God provides. 
So going along this illustration of a shepherd, uh, Ezekiel prophesies that the Messiah would be a shepherd that provided for his people. Ezekiel 34, 28 through 31 says this, then they shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beast of the land devour them. Then they shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, your God declares the Lord God. So this is the prophecy when he's saying at the very end that the Lord is saying that we are sheep of his pasture. 600 years later, when Christ comes on the scene in John 10, this is what Christ says. John 10, picking up in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. How can our hearts not worship when we see the provision of the good shepherd? When we get to see, apart from Christ, if we did not have a shepherd, we would be in this restlessness forever. We would have no hope if there were not the good shepherd that came, that lived the perfect life that you could not live. All the angst that might be in your heart right now for trying to live up to some standard that God never asked you to live to besides following at his foot and praising him. If you did not have a shepherd, you would constantly be wandering. The psalm, the hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You would not have anything tethering you back to the good grace of God. When you see your father's provision, when you see the sin that so easily entangles you and you see the Christ, the Messiah that died for your sins as the good shepherd and laid down his life, how can you not worship? Worship is not something that can be manufactured. Worship is not something that you just do. Worship is not something you just raise your hands and sing out loud, but worship is birth in the inner recesses and the depths of the heart as the Spirit is birthing that worship in and through you. As you know what your Father, the Good Shepherd, has done for you, worship trickles up to the top like air bubbles in water. This is the God that we get to serve and we get to see his provision leads us to worship even in the darkest days of our soul. So Christian, remember, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Despite the restlessness of your soul, remember you have a shepherd that says, I am the good shepherd. Remember you have access to those green pastures through Christ that says, I am the bread of life, the food you need, those green pastures. Remember, you have still waters in Christ when he says, I am the living water. Remember, you have the one that leads you in paths of righteousness in Christ when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is all the reason we need and more to worship when we see everything we need. 
It's not tongue in cheek when David says you shall not want. Because when you are in Christ, the things you want, your desires become his desires. As much as my heart wants for my wife and for I to be parents, we can say our desires, Christ, your will be done. If it most glorifies you, we will never be parents. What is that restlessness in your soul? Are you wanting a relationship? Are you wanting to be out of a relationship? Are you wanting more job security? What is it that you can say, even still, Lord, you have given me everything I need and more in Christ Jesus? As Paul says to the church at Colossae, that you have given us and blessed us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's everything you need. I can tell you, many of us in this room have walked through these seasons where we need to be encouraged and reminded of this truth, that we have a God that sees and cares and provides for us. But I'm, I'm asking us as this church, do we see, as we said earlier, that this fellowship is God's provision for us? That when we're wandering, that God has given us brothers and sisters to bring us back into the fold? Do we see that Christ is the only thing that we need and more. So I, I ask if, if you can't say that Christ is your shepherd, that he is leading you, and you're okay with where he's leading you, I'm asking you, have you rested and trusted and repented and believed that Christ is the good shepherd? If you're spending your life trying to provide for your family, not realizing you were first provided for, rest in that gospel if you're working so hard to provide a future for yourself by going to school and working hard in school and classes, I'm telling you that Christ, even still, yes, to the glory of God, work hard, but he is the one providing and ordaining your steps and leading you in those paths of righteousness. Rest in his gospel. But we get to see that it's not just his provision that allows us to worship in these difficult seasons. When our soul is restless, when we're weary and we're tired, It's not just his provision, but you guys know this, it's his very presence that allows our hearts to worship. That's why in verse four, probably the most well-known verse in this chapter, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we ask this question again, how can we worship when our soul is restless? By remembering God's presence in the valley. Even though we walk through the valley, you are with me. David's comfort, I can't help but imagine if him thinking going down into the valley, knowing he's gonna face Goliath, even though he walks the valley of the shadow of death, the very valley he could die in, all the valleys that he walks through as he's in the wilderness for years and he's going from war to war to war, that God is the one that is with him. He will fear no evil. Without being too cheesy or cliche, our greatest valleys in this life are not really these valleys we talk about. Bailey talked about this a couple weeks ago. This entire life, as we got to see in Psalm 84, is the Valley of Baca, 
It's the entire life we live here, apart from our Savior, apart from his presence, apart from his holiness, apart from his goodness, apart from his manifest glory, this entire life is a valley that we are called not to look to get out of, but to dig deep and trust that your Father is there, your good shepherd is there, he cares for you. How do we know that he cares for us? David knows, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can't help but, I was just studying this this week and thinking of Isaiah 40, where in, uh, the, even in the middle of all the judgment that the Lord isn't pronouncing on Israel for their idolatry, he still says, comfort, comfort, O Jerusalem, comfort. It reminds me of Christ when he's looking out over Jerusalem and Luke and saying, Oh, how I long to gather you unto myself, Jerusalem. Like a mother hen longs to gather her young under her wings, but you were not willing. How was David comforted? His staff. The shepherd's staff was used to gently guide. How many times have you been comforted by your father gently guiding you? Even in the middle of your deepest hurt, you know that timely word from a brother and sister is God's encouragement to you that you know when you sit there and you open the scriptures and you say, God, speak. We know that this is how God has spoken, that this is the sovereign word of God, that the word of God breathed into us life. But also we get to see that the presence of the Savior is not always just his presence there of a staff leading, but that rod that shepherds would carry is to fight off those that sought to devour the flock. Even in the middle of your valley, the presence of your father is there fighting for you. Even as these enemies inside the church, those that seek to pervert the gospel, those that would say that they're in Christ but are leading those other astray, he is fighting for you in that. Those outside of the church that are openly hostile to the gospel, he is warding them off with his rod that this is our comfort, that we have the very presence of God knit up in our bones. We're not left as orphans, that when Christ was crucified for the sins of his children and bore the wrath of God, before he left, he told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will send you the great comforter. We have the great comforter today and the Holy Spirit that is our seal that we are indeed his children, that he cares, that the Spirit leads us into truth. It reminds us of the things that we've been taught. We can't neglect the role of the Spirit in the middle of the valley. It's so easy when we're in the middle of this valley, when we're trying to even muster a voice to neglect to worship. It's so easy to only worship God when things are going well. It's so easy to worship God when we can cope and put all of that stuff that's making us restless in the back of our mind. But when we come face to face and we have to deal with the restlessness, whatever is causing us to be discontent, only the presence of our Savior can encourage us. So we ask, can remembering God's presence really spurn our restless soul to worship? Is this true? Can this really happen? What does scripture have to say about this? 
I believe Psalm 139, 7 through 14 really answers this question of how we can worship when we see God's presence. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even in the darkness. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So we get to see in verse 7, where should we flee from his presence? In verse 14, that bookends that, that David is praising him. We get to see that God is present even before we had consciousness. Despite what many have taught throughout human history, that Christ is God, that God has always existed in triune relationship with himself. And at the moment of our creation, when he knitted us together, his presence was there as the moment when you are in the deepest valley, his presence is there. The moment that he gave you the faith to repent and believe, his presence is there. His presence is in you now and is the only thing that's sustaining you in the middle of the valley. I pray to you, I ask you, don't seek to run out of the valley. I can't tell you how much the Lord has taught me about his goodness, has taught me about his faithfulness, has taught me about the hope that I can have, the character that he's developed in me, the grit that he has given me as I wait in the valley. Because I can say, even though you were there. That's why we get to see in the presence of the Father his presence is there. Worship can't help but happen. Revelation 4.8, we get to see the throne room picture and what's happening in the very presence of God right now. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come very throne room of God, it, the very presence where the manifest glory of God dwells is constantly, forever, day and night as a throne room reverberating the praises of his name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we ask that question, can remembering God's presence really spurn our restless soul to worship? We have the Holy Spirit of God knit up in our bones. Emmanuel, God with us. How could it not? So I ask Christian, you can say even though. Can you say even though you are with me? Can you say even though my circumstance may never change? I will fear no evil. Can you say, even though I may never get that desired outcome, this restlessness may not be restlessness, but may be status quo. Can you in fact say that this life that I think is a valley 
is just the peak and it is all downhill from here. Can you say, even though I will trust you, even though you are with me, can you say your presence is enough? Can you say in the middle of all of this, I will worship? I told many of you guys this morning as we take communion as a family at 930, I've been asking many of you guys to use that time as a time of confession and wanted to lead um, by example in that. So I've taken some time to um, write that confession out for myself, and I thought of all weeks this would probably be the most appropriate time to share this, um, specifically uh, dealing with the Lord's provision and his presence. As I've talked about a couple times already this morning, a feeling like we're just sometimes alone in this valley of wanting to be parents, a feeling like um, other times, I feel like that's just so egotistical and so short-sighted and shallow compared to the tribulations brothers and sisters across the world are going through. Um, but also specifically because we're talking about worship and you get to see uh, this confession hopefully uh, gives you a, a better picture into your pastor's heart as to why I need Christ. Um, so I'll read this confession here that I wrote out. Um, and I pray that this would be uh, just a springboard for us as a church family to constantly lay before the throne of grace the areas we fall short. So I wrote this this week. Worship cannot be generated. It cannot be manufactured. It is as natural as the shouts of acclamation of the man rescued while adrift in the sea. It is as genuine as the sobs of the crushed soul who has tasted the bitterness of losing a loved one far too soon. Worship must not be a means to an end. It is the end. It must not be used as a stepping stone to elicit from God some favorable outcome for me. It is with a flattering tongue I seek to sing to God hoping for some feeling or comfort or manifestation. At that moment, my worship ceases being worship of God and becomes the self-idolatrous worship of self. I have in vain and to my own demise effectually attempted a coup to forcibly remove God from his throne and presume to thrust myself upon his throne. May God have mercy on my soul. This is precisely why I do not feel as if though I can worship God in times of uncertainty and restlessness because my eyes are fixed on my outcomes, not transfixed on the beauty of my Savior. Forgive me, Father. May the beauty of your presence in your Son birth rightful worship in my heart this day and every day. I pray that that is our prayer as a church, that we get to see worship uh, through the series, not as something uh, to play a role, not as something we just do um, because we're supposed to. The, sep the second we step foot in this room, uh, worship doesn't begin. Worship is all of your life. And I pray that you guys would learn from my example as your pastor that uh, despite what I have often tried to do and worship God, in hopes that he would give me some desired outcome. 
when I look at him, even in the middle of this, I can say he has dealt bountifully with me. That all of his favor has fallen in the beautiful lines. And I pray that as we get to see in the study, that this would be all of our cry and worship. Even in the middle of your deepest hurt, I can tell you that I would rather endure this over and over and over again because the presence of my Savior has been closer than it has ever been. And the encouragement that I have from men and women in this room, from people starting fundraisers for us to people just in prayer for us, um, I pray that if you don't know that deep level of fellowship that you would plug in, that you would uh, understand what my wife and I have come to understand here. But I ask you as well, if you can't say, even though, if you can't say, even though nothing will ever change, is his presence enough? I pray that would be a haunting question for you this day. And if you can't say that God himself is your chief end to life, I ask you to repent and believe, to repent of your self-sustaining, self-idolatrous ways, to believe that the good shepherd laid down his life for you, that you don't have to have provision of anything else. You don't need the presence of anything else. Nothing else will sustain, satisfy, especially in the valley. Dig deep into this valley and trust your Savior. Again, I, I know today is Father's Day. It's not lost on me that we're talking about the presence of our Heavenly Father. Many of you in this room may have difficult, strained, broken relationships with your Father. And all I can tell you is that they're given to be a shadow of your heavenly father. And we're talking about the presence of your father. Your father may have checked out years ago. But what I can tell you from Psalm 68.5 is that he is the father of the fatherless. You may not have a father figure in your life. You may be missing your father. What I can tell you is the presence of your heavenly father is good, and he's not going anywhere, and you can depend on him. Because we get to see, because of his goodness, we get to worship. Because of his presence, we can worship. Because of his provision, we can worship. But also, finally, because of God's protection as our host, we can worship. You see, the metaphor changes here starting in verse 5 from God in the previous verses being the shepherd to God now being the gracious host as he protects us. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So how can we worship when our soul is restless? restless? By remembering God's protection. We get to see God's protection in verse five in the presence of our enemies. As we talked about before, those presence of our enemies are those enemies inside the church seeking to devour the true gospel and those outside the church hostile towards this gospel. I can't Im- imagine how David must have felt as he was restless on the run and having to hide with the Philistines in the very presence of the people 
that he sought to destroy Goliath the Philistine, that he has to go and take refuge with them. For David to be able to say that he prepares a table even in the presence. Think about the protective power that God has if you can sit down and eat a meal and you know that someone who wants to kill you is right beside you. That we, as his flock, as his children, are protected because of his goodness. But I love that as he continues in verse five, he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This protection here of this anointing, uh, despite what some people may say to you, anointing is not a uh, gifting. You're an anointed worship leader. You're an anointed teacher. Anointing goes all the way back to scripture of a setting aside for a purpose. As David was anointed in 1 Samuel to be king, he was set aside to the office of king. The beautiful part is that we in this room are anointed as well. Don't let that scare you. What that means is that we have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. We have, the moment of salvation when Christ has saved us, the Holy Spirit has came into our hearts and sealed us, has anointed us and set us aside, as Paul says, to be ministers of reconciliation. That means every single one of us in this room are ministers of the gospel. All of us have a purpose and a role to play. As you're talking about um, maybe sharing, as we talked about earlier this morning, your deepest, darkest confessions or uh, your anxieties, as you go out and live on mission from here, this is what you carry with you as a minister of reconciliation. you can tell other people about God's provision in your life. You can tell other people about God's presence in your life and his protection in your life. That's what you're anointed to do. And I love how he says, at the tail end of verse five, that his cup overflows. Again, God is dealing bountifully with us and with David. Verse six, when he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I, I love that mental image that goodness and mercy. When he says surely, uh, a lot of translations you read will say only goodness and mercy. And that's hard to really wrap our minds around. When it says only goodness and mercy will follow us the rest of our life. Saying if you are a son and daughter of a king, goodness and mercy, Christ and Christ alone in his mercy for your sin and his goodness towards you in your rebellion against him will follow you all the days of your life if he is breathing that faith into you. He will sustain you as he is right there with you, even in the presence of your enemy. That's why he says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We no longer are dwelling in the uh, abode of our enemies. We're no, no longer dwelling in the abode of our sin, that we get to dwell in the presence of the holy God forever. This is our Savior we get to dwell with. Apart from him, we will dwell in Shoal. We will be cut off from the living. We will be in hell for eternity, if not for his goodness. This is why David sings this. It's why his heart is birthing forth in worship because of God's protection despite David's inability to protect himself, both physically and spiritually. That's why Psalm 54, six through seven, when we're asking this question, can remembering God's protection really spurn our restless soul to worship? Says this, I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. 
for he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. He's looking on his enemies and he is praising the name of the Lord. He's giving thanks to the name of the Lord because he has been protected and delivered. We get to look at these next verses here in Exodus 15, one through two, a couple weeks ago, when worship births forth, naturally springs up at the moment of protection when the Lord has delivered us. We get to see right after the uh, children of Israel leave Egypt and they cross through the Red Sea. This is the song that Moses sings. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. So can remembering God's protection really spurn our restless soul to worship? We are safe amongst our enemies. How could it not? That the Israelites were protected. So yes, there's a physical protection there, but let's bring it into this room this morning. What is God protecting us from? What are our enemies today? We've mentioned a few, but what we haven't mentioned is our own deceitful heart. The very enemy of our sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is our flesh that wants to run the other way back into slavery to sin. That is, God has delivered the children of Israel from their physical enemies. He is delivering us through his Holy Spirit from the enemy of our soul, and that is our wicked, broken, depraved heart that longs to go back. That's why God has sent us his Holy Spirit that we now have access to his goodness and to his grace and that he is the one that is making us like himself. What does this have to do with worship? It has everything to do with worship because how can we approach a holy and perfect God if our hearts as we come to him are longing for anything else besides him? How can we worship God when we come to him in vain and say that, God, I am outwardly going to raise my hands. I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to sing aloud. I'm going to live my life with an open hand. I'm going to tithe here. I'm going to live my entire life as worship. But your heart is broken and wicked as a Pharisee's whitewashed tomb on the outside and inwardly full of dead things as you wash the outside of the cup, but inwardly you neglect to clean out the inside of the cup. We can't clean out our insides. We can't rid ourselves of the plight of sin. Only Christ can do that. It's why we need his provision, presence, and his protection. So if you're striving so hard to try to clean yourself up, I'm asking you, why aren't you resting in your Savior's goodness that he promises he will? Because you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. In the middle of your restlessness, remember, just a little while longer. Just a little while longer, and you will see your Savior face to face. That our life is truly but a vapor here. And I can't promise you, I would love to stand up here and promise you, if you 
have repented and believed and trusted in Christ, that your life is on the upward climb. There are so many uh, men that take the stand in a pulpit on Sunday and will tell you that God is about your health and your wealth and your prosperity and your well-being. And I refuse to do so because it is not in Scripture. Sometimes, sometimes are only salve for the wounds that we have in this life are found in the wounds of your Savior. Sometimes the only thing that will truly allow you to worship with a genuine, pure heart is when you transfix your eyes no longer on your circumstances or what you hope to happen, your desired outcome, but if you lift your eyes above the fray for one second and raise your eyes and look to your Savior that was bruised and pierced for your transgressions, the chastisement that was due you fell upon him. And you remember by his wounds you are healed. Then you can look at that sentence, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever with joy and contentment. Because when you see God, when you have a right view of God, how holy he, he is, like we saw in Revelation 4.8, holy, 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 perfectly holy, a triune holiness, when you see how perfect God is, your view of God raises God to where he is rightfully to be. But when you also come forward towards the light, as the light reveals darkness, as you transfix your eyes on the cross, you will see you for who you truly are. And you will see your sin. And you will see your shortcoming. And you will see why that sentence should not be. There is no reason a perfectly holy God should allow us in his presence. The justice of God would send us to eternity in hell apart from him, but the mercy of God does not send us there. But praise be to God for the grace of our Father. Because of his grace and his grace alone, in Christ alone, in faith alone, we will dwell in his presence forever. And I promise you, from walking through this restlessness for five years, if you can't muster even a word to speak. The Spirit promises he interprets your groanings even as deep into your soul. But I also promise you, when you dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you will sing and you will say, it is all worth it. My Savior is worth it. That I can worship even though, even though I walk through the valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So how can we worship when our souls are restless? When we fix our eyes on Christ, how can we not? So Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of the psalm. Thank you that you do not allow our lives to be everything we want them to be because surely our hearts are deceitful. Thank you for the comfort of your word. Thank you for your provision for us in Christ. Thank you for your presence today for us in your Holy Spirit.
Thank you for your protection for us and guarding us from our own sin. So God, as we come to worship through song now, I pray that we won't flippantly approach you. I pray that we don't just stand and sing along as we always do. I pray that if we need to sit, we will sit and open your word. I pray that we would not come forward until we have truly set our hearts on you. We can't do that on our own. We ask for your help and your grace. But God, there is good news in this valley, and that is that you have overcome. So because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of you dealing bountifully with us, let us sing out because we are redeemed. Lord, we love you, but thank you for first loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.